So I'm going to read from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 35, and then Pastor Matt will come and bring the word. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The crowd listened to him with delight. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're taking sermon notes, the, the first question at the top of the notes says this. What's your biggest enemy or scariest obstacle right now? What is your biggest enemy or your scariest obstacle right now? You can whisper that to your neighbor. You can ponder that in your mind. You can write it down. Uh, but what is it? What is, what's scary right now? What just seems huge and in front of you right now? Is it a friendship mess? Is it a family mess? It is, is it marital breakdown? Is it financial stress? Uh, is it the ramifications of COVID-19? Is it the, the political scene that's going to uh, uh, maybe have an end Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this coming week? Um, what is it? And as you think about that or as you, you write something down, I want to I share two different uh, ways that culture or writers of fiction have tried to uh, describe the kind of gods that are out there to help us face our obstacles. The first scene I want to show you in just a second comes from the first Avengers movie from 2012. So just want to set this scene, those of you not familiar with the Marvel Universe um, in the Avengers movies, all of the good guys, like Iron Man and the Hulk and Captain America, they come together to stop this threat from uh, other creatures, from other planets and other galaxies. But at, at the time, one of the main villains is this guy, Loki, who is a demigod from Asgard. And so when Loki is at the, toward the end of the climax of the movie, Loki is going to have a little bout with the Hulk. So let's watch this to see one account of a god that may help you face your obstacles. Let's watch this. Uh-oh. You all of you beneath me. I will not be bullied by that god, dumb creature. I will not be bullied by that All right, so that's one picture, right? You have Loki, this demigod, who's threatening the Hulk with his amazing powers, and the Hulk slaps him around and says, puny god. Puny god. The other scene is that uh, interesting scene in the, movie, the or in the movie or the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children are in the beaver's home, and they're hearing that there's this great lion on the move with the name of Aslan. When, even when his name drops, there's this 
reverberation in the room, like, Aslan. And they hear that he's a lion. And they want to know, ooh, if it's a lion, is he safe? And Mrs. Beaver says, oh, no, he's not safe, but he's good. So you have Loki, the puny god. You have this Aslan character who is not safe, but he is good. Now, when you're facing the most difficult situations of life, or when your life hits rock bottom, I've heard many people describe the beginning of their relationship with God or the beginning of their relationship with Jesus with a prayer that sounds a lot like this. Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, would you help me? And at the same time, for other people, in the same types of situations, their skepticism just grows. And God just seems far away, totally absent, puny. The passage that Greg read to us and what we're going to discuss is ultimately going to hopefully give us hope. But at first read, it doesn't seem very relevant to our lives. You read it, you're like, there's no tips on financial success. There's no parental tips. There's not even any sort of instruction on prayer. But in the end, it's going to give us an opportunity to decide, is this Jesus big enough to help me face my obstacles? So I want to walk through this text under two headings. Uh, the first heading is just simply Jesus flips the script. Jesus flips the script. So if you've been with us in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you'll remember that Jesus has been thrown question after question after question the last couple chapters in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus gives all sorts of uh, profound answers that have actually totally silenced the crowds. And in one way he flips the script is this is the first time he turns to his questioners and he says, but now I have a question for you. I have a question for you. And most of the people listening to him are at the temple. They have been religious leaders. And Jesus is going to ask a Bible question. You know, and for religious people, a Bible question is like red meat. Oh, yeah. Bible question. I like Bible questions. And he begins his question this way. Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus continues, David himself calls him Lord, then how can he be his son? So how, does he, how is Jesus flipping the script? The reason, and Jesus kind of indicates it with the last thing he says. The script was the coming Messiah was David's son. That's who he is. And Jesus is flipping, and he's wanting to look a little deeper at what the Bible actually says about the coming Messiah. Um, now, look, go back to the original question. He says, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Why do the teachers of the law say the Messiah is the son of David? Now, I have assumptions that maybe in the actual event there was a pause, and maybe he was like fielding answers. Uh, some of the answers would have been, well, Jesus, it says so in the Bible. Right? It says that the Messiah is going to be the son of David. And, 
if you turn in your Bibles back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's this amazing promise given to the earthly King David about his future children. Uh, It's given through a prophet speaking God's word, and it says in verse 12, God speaking to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'm going to raise up for you offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men and with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will be never taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So again, the listeners hear Jesus' question. Well, why do people think the Messiah is going to be David's son? And they'd be like, the Bible says so, Jesus. In fact, Psalm 110, which Jesus quotes in that next statement, uh, where he's actually quoting a psalm that David wrote probably in response to this prophecy. And it's a poem. It was probably a coronation poem that David wrote to be read at his own son's coronation. So everyone supposedly would say, well, the Messiah is clearly David's son. But what Jesus is doing is he's wanting them to look deeper. (laughs) What does the Bible actually say? And he quotes Psalm 110, and it's right here in Jesus' words. Verse 36. If the Messiah is just David's son, verse 36, why would David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declare, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until your, until your enemies are under your feet. Now, there are some times where you focus so much on the Bible that you miss the major issue. In this case, Jesus is saying, if you don't focus on the Bible, you're going to miss the major issue. And the major issue is this. Why did David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, speak to God and, and say, I'm looking forward, Lord God, for you to send my Lord. David's longing is for a Lord to come from God. The word Lord means master or king. The greatest king who had ever lived in Israel's history is saying, I'm looking for someone greater than me. And that's why Jesus is saying, why do you keep looking for, you know, just David's son when David was looking for someone so much more greater than David that he would call him Lord? And that Jesus is asking this among all these religious people in the temple. He's saying, I know you spent the last couple couple years trying to put the puzzle pieces together and figure out if I'm the Messiah. But he's like, I'm not a puzzle to be figured out. I'm a person to be honored. I'm a person to be worshipped. Many of you know this, that that when we talk about Christianity or when we talk about following Jesus, we're always wanting this, we don't want this to be an academic thing. We don't want this to be a philosophical thing. We want to move this to an encounter with a real person 
What I think is happening is Jesus is wanting at this moment for those listeners for the penny to drop. Have you guys heard that expression? You know, the penny dropped? The penny dropped. I looked it up this week because I want to know where did this expression come from? And it it goes all the way back to uh, early uh, Great Britain in the late 19th century. And people would go to these uh, places where you could buy gas and take photographs and you would put a penny in the slot and when the the penny finally dropped, then they could get what they were looking for. Uh, if that doesn't make any sense, it's like modern day vending machines, you know, where you, you know, you're putting the quarters in the slot, but they don't quite drop, you know, and so you kind of, you know, bump it when no one's looking because you want the coin to drop so you can get your Snickers bar. Speaking of Snickers bars, do you know what a kid does? If he's given a Tootsie Roll on Halloween, he throws it away and eats a Snickers bar. Right? Amen? (laughs) Is there anybody who goes trick-or-treating for a Tootsie Roll? Just check it to see if there's anybody that we need to pray over after the service. (laughs) Okay. But what Jesus is wanting for in this moment, he's wanting the penny to drop for people to pause and be like, wait a minute. We've been looking for a king like David. And Jesus is flipping the script and saying, you need to look for the kind of king that David was looking for. A lord, a master, a king. This leads me to the second part, is the big reveal, right? Well, how big is this Messiah? How big is this king? You know, one just kind of tip or trick when you're reading through the Bible and someone in the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it's always important to go back to the full passage that is quoted. One of the reasons why you should do that is people were so familiar with the, the Bible in those days that when you would quote just a, just a verse, they would know the rest. And so when Jesus introduces Psalm 110, he's saying all of Psalm 110 applies to the coming Messiah. So let's go look. Psalm 110. Again, Psalm 110, probably composed by David to be a coronation psalm for his son Solomon and maybe every subsequent Davidic king. But let's read a little bit about the longing in David's heart for the coming Messiah. Verse 1, it's the part we've already read. Uh, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Then it says, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from uh, from the morning's womb. It says, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is the coming king. Psalm 110, he's a mighty king. 
He's an, he's an eternal priest. He is a perfect judge. This is the longing um, that David had that he saw in advance and said, he's coming. He's coming. And this is why Jesus, in his earthly ministry, is saying, why do you just think he's David's son? Why have you made him a little Messiah? Why have you made him a half-god or a demi-god, something less than God? Another passage in the Old Testament that gives hints to how great the coming Messiah will be is found in Daniel chapter 7. I want to read to you verses 13 and 14. This is another word from God through a prophet named Daniel. And it says, he had a vision, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is how great the coming Messiah was to be. And Jesus in the first century do you see? Do you see what David saw? Do you see what Daniel was longing for? And ultimately he's saying, I'm here. <laughs> I'm right in front of you. Do you see me? Some of you remember that uh, Jesus dies. And then three days later he resurrects. And then that night he goes and he uh, appears to some of the disciples. And he says, look at me. Look at my hands. Look at, look at who I am. I'm resurrected from the dead. But one person wasn't there. His name was Thomas. He's been dragged through the mud for 2,000 years, called Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. But a week later, Thomas has this moment when Jesus appears again in his resurrected body. And Thomas, uh, with all of his doubts, uh, Jesus says, I want you to come and see what you said you wanted to see. I want you to come and touch what said you wanted to touch. Can you hear my voice? And Thomas, despite all those bad things said about him, is the first person to say, my Lord and my God. The penny had dropped. He had known that Jesus wasn't some little Messiah, some puzzle to be put together, but a person to be bowed, to bow down before and, and to worship. That's the big reveal. Jesus is saying to those fir the original first century audience, your Messiah is too small. Your expectations are, are too little. The Messiah is more glorious than you could ever have expected. The work he is, that he's about to accomplish is more sweet and saving than you could ever possibly get your mind around. And that anything less would be a puny Messiah. A false Messiah. Messiah. Such a Messiah and such a Jesus wouldn't be able to do much if he was still this small, puny God. This is probably why I believe that you'll see this drift sometime in people's lives where maybe as a young person or college or even young adult, they had a very high view of 
believing God's word and trusting God and submitting to Jesus. But because of maybe something that happens in the local church or something they see in the media about uh, you know, maybe a famous Christian or a famous evangelical pastor do something that is very ungodly. And they just start drifting. And what they, 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 they start questioning the Bible. Uh, they start questioning truth. And they still want to call themselves Christians, but it only lasts for a while. And the reason why is if, if you declaw Jesus, if you make him safe, Ultimately, you begin to be like, well, why would I follow him? What can he do in my life? How can he help me through these obstacles when I, he's, I've made him so small? Like there's, you know, one of the things you realize is if you have a relationship with any person and you, act, you want to make it past those deeper levels, you have to deal with their hard edges. Some of you are familiar with uh, that old movie and book called The Stepford Wives, right? Do you guys remember this? There's this little town in Stepford, Connecticut, and when people, this new family moves in, both the husband and the wife are a little kind of at first weirded out by all of these very docile wives who do everything their husbands want. And admittedly, the man's kind of like, well, that's nice. And the wife's just freaked out, right? As the story goes on, they find out that the men of Stepford, Connecticut had long ago killed their wives and turned them into robots and had programmed them to do exactly what the men wanted. But you know what? When you do that, the moment you do that, you can't have a real relationship. And that's what happens when we do that to God. When we make him... You know, we bring him, and I want him to like what I like and to, uh, to approve what I approve and to have the same ideas that I have. You have a Stepford God. He has no hard edges. You've made him soft. You've declawed him. You've made him this little cat. You've made him a puny God. Not worthy to worship. He's not worthy to follow. And he also can't help us. He's not strong enough. And we eventually walk away from such a Jesus. So can I just, as we move toward the end, can I just speak to those in the room that have been scandalized by some behavior by people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus? Uh, Maybe it's been through this political season. Maybe it's in the past. Maybe one of your favorite pastors, preachers, or authors has made shipwreck of the faith by some moral failure. First thing I just want to say, your frustrations are often legitimate. So many things have been done wrong in the name of Jesus for centuries. But let me just remind you, Jesus is not a puny Messiah. He's still worthy of your worship. He's still worthy of your honor. He's still worthy of your obedience. I mean, the more you read the Bible, you will see God's very high demand of holiness, his commands. What he says is pure and right and just is always going to rub the world wrong because his ways are higher than our ways. 
But in the midst of God's great holiness, where we all fall very short, we have this amazing God who sends his son, the Messiah, to die for the sins of the world, to die for personal sins, to defeat the work of the devil, to destroy the last enemy that is death. And three days later, he rises again. Now he is victorious over sin. He is victorious over death. He is victorious over the devil. He alone is still our only hope of salvation. Christians will fail you. Churches will miss the mark. But the good news of Jesus Christ is unbelievably good news. I love the line that Timothy Keller writes in one of his books when he says this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is holy. Humans are puny. (laughs) And so we love Jesus. We trust Jesus. I also want to show something uh, to those of you who are walking with Jesus and been with Jesus a long time. I want you to go back uh, to what Jesus says in Mark 12, just even how he introduces this encounter. Notice how he says, why did the teacher of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? And then he says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared. Fellow Christians, what I want you to see is what Jesus does is he does a number of things. One, he affirms that the Bible is inspired by God. So he says, David, the King David, a thousand thousand BC, when he spoke, he spoke God's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. This This book, this is God's word. It can be trusted. But then he goes on, he says, let's dig in. He says, Look at this verse. And he only quotes one Bible verse. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. God's revelation comes from God. Next, God's revelation is going to be understood through God. So Jesus is explaining the word. But then there's supposed to be one more step is for those listening to believe God's revelation and to be undone. He's going to defeat my enemies. He's my hope. He's my Lord. I mean, this has all kinds of implications, but one, I'll just start with one. And this is one that, if you've been in church a long time, you're like, maybe maybe pastors should quit saying this, but I can't. The primary way you are going to experience new revelations of God is from the Bible. This is where we see God, who is good, but he's not safe. You're going to see his holiness. You're going to see his power. I know that it's always tempting. I just talked to a guy this week, and I think he was Amish by his beard and his suspenders. I enjoyed talking with him. And he was just saying he's getting ready to go deer hunting he says, there's nothing like, you know, the, the morning sunrise, you know, right before you shoot one of God's animals. But, um, so every now and again, I hear people saying things like, you know, I experience God most at sunrise. 
I just want to affirm that you will experience some aspects of God's creative power at the sunrise. Enjoy that. But the primary way, the surefire way to know God is through his word and to treasure it. And when you pick up your Bible tomorrow or this afternoon, pray a prayer that's in Psalm 119. It says, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. Pray that you would have eyes to see. Pray that a, you know, a different penny drops about some aspect of God that you've missed or something about God, excuse me, something about yourself that God wants you to see. When you see how worthy Jesus is, when you see how mighty the true Messiah is, then, brothers and sisters, bring him those greatest obstacles and lay them at his feet. Bring your suicidal thoughts. Bring your addictions. Bring your broken, broken homes. Bring your deep sorrows. Your heavy grief. Bring it to the, the Jesus who is mighty, but in mercy he died on the cross. Bring it to Jesus who, who is tempted just like we are and so he can have sympathy in our temptation, but he was without sin and so that he can empower us to walk in obedience. I, I don't want us to despair. I want us to trust that he is a capable king. He's a masterful Messiah. He's a sufficient savior. You know, there was a time, and for me, I was just reflecting on this past, you know, I, I couldn't put it, maybe it was late spring, early summer, felt like I got to a bad place in my own soul. Some old sinful habits were rearing their head. I was discouraged. Uh, if, if, if you would have been able to, like, you know, slice, you know, get a slice of my heart in that time period, I would have been saying something like, the enemies are winning, You know, but God is merciful, and he is strong, and through a series of events, and primarily reading his word, one, I confessed my sin to the Lord, I confessed some sin to my wife, I brought things into the light, I prayed for God to come in with both his might and his mercy, and there was healing. And there was a, just a, one of those fresh experiences, God's grace and his power, so my encouragement to you, whatever obstacle you're facing, it could be the sin in your heart, it could be some aspect of the world striking into your life right now, it could just be the impact of living in a fallen world that has so much sadness. Bring that to the mighty Messiah, Jesus. I want to remind you, at the end of this service, we'll have a prayer station toward the front for women and a prayer station toward the back corner for men. Maybe you bring that and say, you know, brother Christian, sister Christian, here's what I'm facing. Would you pray for me? Can we talk to the Lord Jesus about this? Fear not, brothers and sisters. Jesus has overcome the world. He's not a puny God. He's not safe, but he's good. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful uh, for these just couple of verses that just explode the truth of how mighty Jesus is. And I'm assuming people have come in this morning with big problems and puny gods. I pray this morning they would see that Jesus is a mighty big Messiah. He is stronger than death. He's able to overcome the lies of the enemy. 
He's able to come in and solace the most broken hearts. I love that about Jesus. Uh, he comes to us in our brokenness to heal. He comes to us in our pride to bring us down. Uh, just what we need. He is a sufficient Savior. He's a mighty Messiah. He is big, and he's capable, and he is worthy of our worship. And so we want to honor Jesus today. Pray that he would be pleased uh, with the rest of our service. Bless the taking of the Lord's Supper. Pray that as we close in song, that we would sing with songs of praise and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.